Welcome. Welcome one and all to another book review. Why was I doing that? Well, today I have the book for you, Why Buddhism is True by the author Robert Wright. Now, this book was published in 2017 and it's a secular look at Buddhism. So, it mostly focuses on the insights that arrive from mindfulness meditation and I guess they're Buddhist explanations or claims from what these insights mean. So, it's a very secular look. So, the author actually has a um, a degree, I believe, in psychology or biology, not sure which, which of the two, um, in evolutionary biology or psychology. And he juxtaposes this with some of the claims or the experiences that he personally got from, from Buddhist meditation and, and mindfulness meditation, as well as what the Buddhists claim in general. Now, this is going to be a, a little bit difficult, but I'm going to try my best because some of these themes are so deep, so so deeply rooted in psychology and nature um, and philosophical and in, in, in their own nature as well. But let's just dump, jump into it, dive into it. So, number one theme is dukkha. So, suffering is, is the translation of this that we most hear, but also unsatisfactoriness is sort of a better one because suffering does have a very visceral almost painful thing whereas un- unsatisfactory is is, com- is is more like I just don't feel well in this moment or I, I, I have a little a longing for something whether it's small or big so I guess it's it's the craving or desire that's instilled via natural selection so w- to not be satisfied with anything for any amount of time essentially and therefore we will have a perpetual aspiration for more or for less I want a better car, I want more money, I want more friendships, I want more love in my life. Or the opposite side of that, which is uh, I want less sickness in my life. I don't want to be in pain all the time. Uh, I don't want to feel this anxiety. I wish I would have less arguments with my spouse, whatever it is. It just, we always have a uh, something that needs to be fixed. And this is rooted in the past. So, we can be looking at, you know, I wish I didn't do those things in the past or the future man, I wish I had this more stuff. And we don't, I guess, spend enough time in the present to to be truly free of, of both of those things. Now, I'm not, uh, no one's claiming that you can't think of the past or can't think of the, pre- uh, of the future, but there is something to be said about at least having the ability to drop both of them at a, a moment's notice or when necessary to psychologically, I guess, refresh yourself. So, meditative practice can can help less uh, help with this can lessen the grip of of the clinging attraction to good and the aversion to bad and i'm I'm using those square uh, the the quotes the finger quotes with my fingers uh, because what is good and what is bad you know that's hard to tell and we'll get onto that in some of the next ones the the book is great because he's got a lot of stories in it so there's this one particular funny section where he's on retreat he's in a meditative hall he's doing his ohms or or following the breath in and out and trying to meditate and one of the other people in the hall has fell asleep and is snoring really loudly and so he's getting very uh, you know outraged he feels this wrath this rage against this person and he's always going to feel this essentially he came to the realization that okay you're going to feel this i guess no matter what this person could be not doing anything and he could still feel the the wrath or rage against this person so 
it's we're we're always going to have this this desire this this longing this this uh, craving i guess you'd call it and but there is a way to momentarily or for long periods if you commit to you know meditating in a cave for 20 years to to get out of this cycle of continual feeling this this thing like this which uh which gets onto anatta the not self so essentially saying that the self is an illusion now that's a pretty outrageous claim if you just hear it for the first time you go but you know i'm i'm chiron i can see and feel these things you're this person you can do these things and it certainly does feel like things appear in my head and they're mine this is my body this is my you know this is me so how how can you claim there is no self well what what he gets at here and what buddhism gets at in general is that we uncritically embrace thoughts and feelings as ourselves but large parts of these for certain are engineered via natural selection so for example they're they're just automatic things that pop up into my brain and when you try and follow the train of thought back to the origin uh, the origin you, you you discover that it's not as clear as you thought it was you know i'm I'm, I'm going to buy this present for my mom for, for Christmas. Okay, where did that thought come, come from? Well, I saw it in a magazine. Okay, but, you know, why did you associate that with your mom? Well, I, you know, I know she likes, you know, colors and this dress color. Okay, but why? And you, you can keep on doing this. And I suppose it's, it's sort of been disproven via evolutionary psychology um, through, if you look into the modular mind or the default mode network, we've talked about this recently on the podcast, that a lot of what you think, and if you read the book um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, it, it really just exposes to you front and center just how much of what you think is is not a free, a free will choice. It's not something that you have control over. It's just something that happens in your brain as a like a natural by- byproduct. Uh, and subjective experience is the other sort of argument against the not self. And you can have these experiences as a meditator where I, I've personally had a little glimpse at this, not as strong as what the author has. And there's people who have even stronger ones and almost a continual um, feeling of this not self in their day-to-day life. But there is something to be said about the subjective experience in this case where you can feel what it's like to not associate with all the feelings or the thoughts that come into your head and that the sounds that come in from the outside world, uh, there's no real difference between them and the sounds that you hear in your own head from your own thoughts, something like that. So that's, that's a, I suppose, a, a, a quite a big concept that comes up in Buddhism. And the last one I suppose he really talks about in the book is uh, sunyata or sunata. So uh, I can't remember which is the Sanskrit and which is the Pali, I think the way I said them. Uh, but it's, essentially it translates as formless or emptiness. And essentially we perceive objects and beings as having an essence due to a Darwinian simplification into groups. So I don't like the color green. I do, but whatever. In this case, I don't like the color green. And and you'll say, okay, that that green has the color, the, the essence of of badness he talks a bit in the book about you know someone who annoys you is is really uh, a person you don't like they have the essence of bad someone who gives you candy or is a loved one and then brings you good feelings they have the essence of good and so he talks about i guess 
how we you can sort of break the per- perceptual construct of this and really just see things in a more objective sense. So taking a step back from your own biases. And he's got a great story as well of this where he was in his meditation retreat and he's you know being a bit more objective. He's learning how to meditate. He's, he's starting to see things a bit more clearly. And he comes across this weed that he used to have in his garden all the time. And this weed was just, you know, the plague. He hated this thing so much. But stepping back from his own perceptions, he thought, you know what, this this weed, this plant is actually kind of beautiful. You know, we've just created the construct that weeds are bad. But if you look at it, its form is very nice. The color it produces, the way it moves in the wind is is actually quite beautiful. So just because you have these strong feelings and attachments and 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 you feel these things from deep within us and it's you, it doesn't necessarily mean that those that is actually objectively true. And this is where I guess all the three concepts start to wrap up with each other. The, the self is an illusion helps you understand that there is formless or emptiness in, in everything and that, you know, what's causing you to feel all these thoughts and feelings and attach them to the self? Well, it's the inherent dukkha, the the cravings or desires that you just naturally have as a human being. This is what we seem to do as humans in general. We seem to live in the past. We live seem to live in the future, but don't spend, you know, enough time right on the present moment point. And I guess this gets into some of my own personal observations. Uh, I really enjoyed the mini stories. They, they helped me out a lot and he spreads them out throughout the book quite nicely. And his own experiences match some of mine, maybe not to the same degree because he has spent more time meditating and having, I guess, more peak experiences. But one of the things you, you'll start to realize when you do meditate more and more is that you you can have these insights that other people are talking about and that adds a, a flavor to the argument which is which makes the argument make more sense at the very least. And you can sort of, it's funny, by having a subjective experience, you can actually understand the objective rational arguments they're making a little bit more strongly. Um, so I, I found that, that quite uh, appealing to me. Uh, I did, however, get lost in the terminology a little bit. So... It, it was there was parts of the book where he, he just started talking and I you know I just zoned out I couldn't understand what he was meaning especially when he gets into some of the claims that the Buddhists make and the terminology that they use uh, one and I also mentioned recently that you know there's several words in in the Sanskrit or Pali or whatever it is which translate you know one word translates into a two paragraphs in English because it has so much baggage attached to this one word and you really need to live it, dive deep into it to understand it, which does make it hard to talk about. Uh, however, at the end, he does summarize his, his views quite nicely and this is how I actually extracted, I guess, the three main themes by looking at his, you know, his work as a whole, the reading the whole book, but then also at the end, he, he has a, you know, four or five pages which put his claims or um, his arguments into very succinct form, which is a lot more understandable, I feel. So in summary, uh, there's no mention of, I guess, the wackier stuff or the less verifiable things of Buddhism, such as reincarnation, for example, uh, such as the, you know, some of the claims that of the things that the Buddha could do because of his uh, enlightenment and nirvana and whatnot. And 
I'm, I'm obviously missing large chunks of the book. He does talk about Nirvana and some of the other, I suppose, things you really do associate with Buddhism, but we'll leave that for another time. And I found it insightful and unexaggerated as well. There's, there's times where you can read books of people really exaggerating their own experiences, but it felt like he, he tried to put it in the most truthful way possible, and I really appreciated that. That being said, the book itself just, you know, wasn't the super most enjoyable thing, but I did found it quite useful. So I'm giving the book Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright a six and a half out of 10, you know, a solid read. I would recommend it for someone who is has maybe a secular background by nature. So they grew up either in an atheistic or an agnostic or not a strong uh, religious household where they potentially have a more scientific background and approach things from a more scientific way. I felt that this book is great for those sorts of people because it doesn't introduce, I guess, claims that are really unverified. And the claims that he does make in this book are either ones you can subjectively experience yourself or that have been backed up by um, natural selection, Darwin thinking, uh, Darwinian thinking, evolutionary biology and psychology. So, What's something pragmatic I'm going to take from this book? Well, I think I'm, I will listen to a podcast afterwards for more clarification in the future. I've started doing this a bit more recently. I did it with the uh, other book I have reviewed recently, Doing Good Better by William McCaskill. And I did it with this one as well. So I listened to a, a podcast with him and Sam Harris talking about the actual book. I think that's important, but it, it gets a an, another form of being able to understand and helps clarify some of the questions that you might have and puts it in a little bit of a different way where the things that are written in the book make more sense in essence and just flesh out some of the other ideas so I think I'm going to start doing that whenever I can Uh, reading obviously I'm not going to be able to do it for authors who are already dead but I found I found that a, a useful little tip and trick so I would recommend that to other people as well uh, other than that, what are, what are your thoughts on Buddhism? Do you um, subscribe to some of the theories, to some of the practices, to some of the claims? Do you find it useful? Do you meditate? I would be interested to know your your thoughts on this. And um, other than that, uh, if you could leave us uh, a review, a comment on this video, or if you're listening to it via the podcast, if you could go and leave us a, uh, a five stars and a review on iTunes, that would be amazing. If not, just enjoy this. You know, these book reviews are, are to give you... Uh, I, I suppose an insight into a full book and maybe you hear this and go, you know what, that's actually something I might want to read. That might be something that's useful for me. So that's it for today. Kyron out.